Satan tries to distract them from the glory of Jesus. God, I pray that you would help their attention and their affection be placed back upon you. God, that their vision would be directed or redirected back upon you. God, I pray that um, that we as a body of believers, as we are working together to the good works that you've put before us, God, that our hunger and thirst would only be for your Son. God, as we get distracted, God, that we as a church would encourage one another to hunger and thirst for righteousness, knowing that we will find contentment and satisfaction in our Savior. God, help us not to be known as a group of people who look to this world and the things of it for hope and for satisfaction, but instead, God, help us to be known as a group of people who find complete joy and hope and satisfaction in the one that we call Lord. God, help people to recognize that in all circumstances, God, we have learned, like Paul, to be content in our Savior. No matter the things that we gain or the things that we lose, God, we find satisfaction in our Savior Jesus. God, help us to be people who walk in that in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to continue through the Beatitudes, continue through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this week we are talking about Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. As Christ is preaching this message, as he's preaching this sermon there on the mountainside, as he's trying to direct his, uh, his disciples and his apostles' attention, he's directing it to the, to the kingdom that he represents. He's di- directing their attention to uh, the Lord's will or God's will being done in their lives and on this earth as it is as in heaven. And so, um, so as we read it and as we study it together and as we respond to it, uh, our hope is that we would see what Christ taught and then we would walk as Christ taught us to walk and that we would hunger as he taught us to hunger and we would thirst as he taught us to thirst, that we would find satisfaction in Christ and Christ alone. Uh, you know you've experienced hunger or thirst in some way in your life. You've seen how hunger and thirst does crazy things to yourself. Maybe you've had kids or grandkids and you've seen how hunger and thirst does crazy things to kids. They begin responding to life differently. You recognize immediately, oh, something's not normal, something's not uh, correct. Uh, What is it? Maybe you're hungry. Grab a Snickers bar and you'll be satisfied is what the world teaches us. You're not acting your correct way, so you obviously you need something that's going to help direct you back into your normal, your normal life. And so the hope is that as we uh, provide you with goldfish or provide you with some kind of snack, that in that uh, as you're eating that, your hunger is satisfied and you return back to normal. Or maybe you've been playing some game or hiking up some mountain or running after some uh, prize and you begin to be thirsty. Uh, I'll never forget um, as a young man, though I still am, as a younger man than I am today, uh, I'm out in the cotton field in West Texas, born and raised, uh, not like Will Smith on the playground, but I was born and raised in the cotton field, and uh, we're hoeing cotton, uh, and we're getting all the weeds out of the cotton so that it's a good crop, so that it yields a great yield, and uh, and it was 
extremely hot that day, unlike uh, not unlike uh, southeastern New Mexico. And uh, my best friend's mom rolled up in the truck and she yelled at us gently, gracefully. She yelled at us, uh, in case she's listening to this. Uh, she yelled at us gracefully, uh, what do you guys want to drink? And uh, immediately I yelled back, not waiting for anyone else's uh, response. I yelled back an orange Gatorade. Uh, maybe you're, maybe you've had one of these, but for me that was the thirst quencher. I mean that's the the label of it. And for me in that moment, as I was hoeing cotton and as I was sweating everything that I had ever been in my body, I sweated it out. All I wanted was an orange Gatorade. And my friend, my best friend Brett, he sat there for a moment and thought about it, and he said, "You know what? Really sounds good at the moment." It's 105 degrees, or I, mean, I don't know, it could have been 130 degrees, who cares? Uh, we're out in the dirt uh, trying to get weeds out and just sweating and sweating. He says, you know what really sounds good right now, Mom? And she says, what? Chocolate milk. And his mom said, no, I'm not buying you chocolate milk. You're not having cho chocolate milk's not going quench to quench your thirst at this moment. I'm not buying you chocolate milk. And they begin to argue, and he lost. He didn't get a chocolate milk. Uh, but his thirst was quenched with something, something else. Uh, how often, though, have we hungered and thirst for things that, that we know will never satisfy? Uh, it will never bring contentment to your hunger and thirst pains. Uh, you know, I mean, you've made those bad choices. You looked at the, the hot sauce. And you said, oh, it looks so good. You dip the chip in the hot sauce and you say, this is going to be the best hot sauce I've ever, I've ever ate in my entire life. And it's just what I feel like sounds so good at the moment. And you begin eating the hot sauce and you can't stop. And you regret it hours or minutes later. And you tell yourself, why did I eat the hot sauce? And then two days later, you're invited to go back to the same restaurant. And what do you do? You sit down and you dip the chips back in the hot sauce. And the same scenario is played out over and over and over again. You think at what point in your life, at what point in my life, will we learn that that particular hot sauce is not going to quench the hunger pangs that we have? There must be something else. We're longing for something different. This will never satisfy us. And I know that's a silly statement because some of you are like, I don't like salsa at all anyways. He's an idiot. I appreciate your encouragement there. The truth is, how many people do you know, including yourself, how many people do you know, including yourself, that throughout their life, however old or young they are, they're hunger and they're thirsting for things and they try and fill the emptiness in their life with things of this world and they wonder, just like you have wondered many times and as King Solomon wondered so many years ago, will anything ever bring satisfaction to my life? Will anything ever bring satisfaction to my life? We have this heart issue going on in our world today, and the world since Adam and Eve have broken it. Uh, we have this heart issue that's going on. We have a longing in our spirit, a longing in our soul, a longing in our heart to be satisfied, to find contentment. And we chase after so many things. I mean, I'll be real frank and real honest with you this morning. I mean, I chased after antlers for a while, up and down mountains, thinking that that antler was going to satisfy my hunting desires. As I go up and down mountains and through valleys and, and uh, near rattlesnakes and bitten by mosquitoes and chiggers on my legs and uh, sweat out everything that I ever drink uh, in, I just think, will this ever bring satisfaction to my life? And two days after a hunting trip is over, all I can think about is going back hunting again. It's this desire, this, this addictive cycle that we live in in this world that, are, that really is a heart condition. Things are not correct. I mean, surely you know that by now. Things are not the way that they're supposed to be. 
And there are so many things that we chase after, so many things that we pursue. David reminds us in Psalm 23 that surely goodness and mercy pursue us all the days of our life. They chase after us. Why? Because we're pursuing so many other things. We look to the world for satisfaction. We look to the, the world for contentment, and we never find it. In Christ, I picture him on the sermon as he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, pleading with those who are following him, pleading with those who may follow him. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. For they will be satisfied. I think about King Solomon's words in the Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 10, uh, verse, verse 11. Or just turn there. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse, we're going to read that whole section there. Verses 9 through 13. Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. If you find Genesis, keep moving. If you find Psalms, keep moving. If you find Proverbs, keep moving. And then stop at the end of Proverbs and you'll get to Ecclesiastes. Go to the third chapter, find verse 9, and we'll read it together. It says this. What gain has the worker from his toil? I ask that many times as I'm walking up and down rows of cotton. What gain will I gain from this? What will I get from walking up and down these rows of cotton? What gain will I get from walking up and down this mountain and these valleys? What gain will I get from walking the daily life in southeastern New Mexico? What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He says this in verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from, from the beginning to the end. And I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, and that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Verse 11 again. He has put eternity into man's hearts. We long for something greater than ourselves. If you try and find it in things of this world, you'll never be satisfied. But if you have an, a biblical understanding of what God has done in your life, that he has placed eternity into your heart, and that you're longing for that, then when Christ preaches, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied, you will see that righteousness comes only from Christ, and righteousness can be bestowed upon you for all of eternity when you hunger and thirst for him and for him alone. He's placed eternity in our hearts. And with that, we have to come to an understanding that we will never be satisfied in anything in this world. The next business deal, the business deal we lost. The next spouse or the spouse we lost. The next great health or the great health we lost. The next great paycheck or the paychecks we should have saved. The next great meal or the one that we can only remember because my grandmother fixed it. We will never be satisfied of things of this earth. We will only be satisfied in the one that's from eternity and that continues on throughout eternity. Our satisfaction will only be and only happen when we are satisfied with Jesus. Two points this morning. For a second there, I almost sound like a preacher. But two points this morning. Uh, I want you to write these down in whatever, wherever you can. Right? Write them on your neighbor's arm if you have to. Write these down so that you remember them. They're not any more important than the Word. Okay? In fact, these are less important than the Word, but I feel like these come from the Word. They're going to help direct us. Hunger for God, not for your gain. When we talk about Christ and Him calling us into this blessed life and this satisfied life, he's saying hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness comes only from God through his son, Jesus Christ. So hunger for God, not for your gain. We'll get to that in a moment. And then this one, the second one I want you to write down is this. Be satisfied in your Savior, not your sin. 
So hunger for God, not for your gain. Be satisfied in your Savior, not your sin. All right? So when we talk about blessed, uh, living a blessed life, and we talk about hunger and thirsting for righteousness, what we're saying is that we want to be satisfied not in earthly gain, but we want to be satisfied in our hunger for the Lord, and we want to be satisfied in our Savior, the one who has saved us from our sin. We don't want to be satisfied in our sin. When you and I become uh, content in our sin, then we lessen who our Savior is. When we are content in our sin, then Christ becomes weakened in his work that he completed for us. When we rejoice in our sin, we demote the Savior from the position that God has put him in. When we value our sin more than our Savior, we're saying we want glory to go to our sin instead of glory going to our Savior. When hunger, when our hunger and thirst is for our own gain, we cannot be meek people. We cannot mourn like Christ wants us to mourn. We cannot be satisfied like Christ wants us to be satisfied. When we hunger and thirst for God, then everything that we gain upon this world is rubbish, as, as Paul tells us. Only Christ is worthy of gaining in this world. So hunger for God, not for your gain. Be satisfied in your Savior, not your sin. Turn back to the Old Testament. Uh, to the very uh, beginning, to the book that began it all. Genesis is where we'll be. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 25. I'm going to try and catch us up to a story here. And uh, my, my hope is this, that, um, that I'm not going to take up or bore you or take up too much of your time this morning. I know that you've got many, many other valuable things to do this afternoon, um, particularly uh, as we're talking about hunger. Some of you are already hungry. And you cannot wait for that grilled cheese sandwich that happens every Sunday afternoon. Genesis chapter 25. We've got a story of two brothers. One brother named Jacob and another named Esau. Maybe you're familiar with them. They both have a mom and a dad who are raising them. Isaac is their dad. Verse 29 of chapter 25 says this. Once when Jacob, the older son, once when Jacob was cooking stew, sorry, the younger son, uh, stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. He was exhausted. He was tired. He was famished. He was hungry. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. He was famished. He was hungry. He was uh, to the point where maybe he, um, maybe he felt like he was uh, uh, completely uh, about to die of uh, starvation. And therefore his name was called Edom. And verse 31 says this, and Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau's hungry, and Jacob is trying to leverage his hunger pains in a way that benefits himself. So they're both hungry. You catch this? Jacob and Esau in this moment, in this part of the story, they are both hungry. Esau is hungry for something to replenish his physical body. And Jacob is hungry for something to benefit his own financial gain, his own inheritance. If you're so hungry, what will you do, what will you pay in order to meet those hunger pains? What are you willing to give up in order for your hunger to be satisfied? I hope that you're catching this this morning. Jacob said, sell me your birthright. Two types of people. 
One who's very focused on the moment, the here and now. And another who's focused on something further down the road. Sell me your birthright. It's a longer thing. Give me something to eat now. It's a momentary thing. Every day we make these kind of decisions. Your, what you're doing with Jesus helps base how you make your decisions. Those in the moment and those in tomorrow. As you think about tomorrow and as you think about today, what you're doing with Jesus helps you make those decisions. If you're only living for your belly, you may be willing to do things that are drastic because the moment outpowers the eternal. That's not what Christ wants us to do. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is the birthright to me? I'm, I'm to the point of starvation. I'm famished. I'm going to die. So he's justifying the moment. Even if I was to die today of starvation, my birthright's no good for me. So, of course, I'm willing to give up my birthright for the sake of eating something so that I can continue to live in this moment. Did you catch that? How many of us do that daily? I'm willing to give up certain things that really have eternal impact because this moment seems greater than eternity. I'm willing to be satisfied in something momentary and something uh, that's, that's only for this moment instead of looking to eternity and saying, I want to be satisfied in Christ. I want to be satisfied in something eternal. That's why Christ says, Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Something that's not of this world. Something that I cannot give to you and you cannot give to me because we are of this world. Something that out of this world righteousness comes from Christ and Christ alone. And so our longing and our satisfaction can only come up from something that's from, from eternity through eternity. Esau said again in verse 32, I'm about to die. Of what use is it? Of what use is this birthright to me? Parents, grandparents, have you ever had this with your child? And you almost laugh and make fun of them? They're at the point of starvation. And you're thinking, wait a minute, you, you just had goldfish 10 minutes ago. You're like Paula Dean. You're like three or four days from starvation. All right, like starvation is not even in in your radar. It's not even on the radar yet. But here's Esau saying, "I'm exhausted. I'm famished. I'm about to die." And so he begins making rash decisions, decisions that only affect the moment and not for forever. Though what he's about to do, this momentary decision, because of his his trial, his trauma at the moment, will affect him forever. So he swore, so Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Signed it over. Made a drastic decision because of a momentary trouble. He made a drastic decision because of a momentary trouble. Both these guys making decisions. Uh, one hungering for his own gain. One hungering for his own gain also. And, and his belly being filled. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And then move to chapter 27. Chapter 27, as the story progresses along, Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see. Some of you probably relate a little bit to this. And he called Esau, his older brother, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare, prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me, so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. 
So, so remember here, Esau has already sold his birthright. Now what he needs is the blessing. Jacob, I mean, Isaac still feels like uh, the birthright is still in Esau's hands. He, he does not know that the, the birthright has been sold to the younger brother. With the birthright and the blessing, one has power and control. Esau does not have the birthright, but maybe he can still get the blessing. Verse 5 says this. Now, Rebekah was listening. She was eavesdropping. When Isaac spoke to his son Esau, and so when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare, uh, prepare for me a delicious, delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Already we see this. Rebekah is thinking for her own personal gain. We see her acting upon her own selfish desires for her own gain. She thinks that she'll find satisfaction and hope in the things that she can control and the things that she can have power over. And so she begins to persuade her child into sin. Do this action so that you receive the blessing from your father. Maybe she already knew you have the birthright. Now you just need the blessing. If you have the birthright and the blessing, then power and control is yours and you will have authority in this, in this family. You will have the things that, that we need to survive upon this earth. Selfish gain. I mean, how often I can think in my own life, I'm just going to point my fingers at myself, I'm going to do my best not to point them at you. How often daily in my own life, as I reflect back on my own actions, as I reflect back on my own decisions, how often those decisions are for selfish gain. Never can I say and justify really ever and say, well, this was for the Lord. Sometimes I can justify and say this is for the best of my family. But most of the time I say, I can look back at my decisions and say these are for selfish gain, only for myself. And Christ has called me for so much more than that, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be satisfied in Him and Him alone. Hunger for God, not for your own gain. Be satisfied in your Savior, not your sin. So we go on in the story. Verse 7, bring me game and prepare for, uh, for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. Do you see what's about to happen? Uh, in Rebecca's sin, in, uh, in, in Jacob's following of this sin, death is about to happen. In her desire for her own selfish gain, Something is going to die. For the wages of sin is death. You, you know this, the gospel. Someone had to die in your place. Someone had to die in my place for my sin. We have the Savior that we should rejoice in. The Savior that we should be satisfied in. And yet how often do we become satisfied in our own sin? Verse 10 says this, And you shall bring it to your father to the heat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. I love that he went there first. These physical attributes first. It's usually how humans work. We begin looking at earthly things first. We don't look at the spiritual impact of things. We don't look at the weight of sin. He didn't stand up and say, Wait a minute, Mom, this is completely wrong. But, but instead he's looking for selfish gain. So how are we going to get away with this? How can we make this look as if I'm someone else? What, what can I do to clothe myself as an actor, to make myself look as someone or something else, but not really be the person that, needs, that, that we want to be? He's a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and, and, shall seem to be mo- and I shall seem to be mocking him. 
and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Obey, only obey my voice and go bring, me, uh, bring them to me. So he went, satisfied in the moment. He went and took them and brought them to his mother and his mother prepared delicious food, such as the father loved. Delicious food. Uh, we were told by our six-year-old this week that if you eat the watermelon that does not have the black seeds but the one that has the white seeds, you will taste delicious watermelon. That's what we were told. It happened in, in first grade this week. They had uh, the, the seedless watermelon and it was delicious. Well, wow, I didn't even know you knew that word. Great. Verse 14, so he went and took them and brought them to his mother and he prepared. Uh, they prepared delicious food such as his father loved. And then Rebecca took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skin, remember the skin? Remember the goats that they killed? And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son, Jacob. It's interesting here uh, that Jacob going to receive this blessing from his father walking into his presence, had to be clothed with something different. I hope you catch it. Had to be clothed with something different in order to walk into the presence of his father and receive the blessing that he so desired. I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. Because see, you and I have this opportunity to be clothed in righteousness from our Savior Jesus, not as any fake moment or unreal moment, but our sin washed away forever, and Christ clothes us with a new creation, clothes us with Himself, so that we may, Him standing in our place, may walk into the presence of the Father and receive the blessing of eternal life receive the blessing of righteousness, receive the blessing of never being separated from the Father ever again, or Jacob and Rebekah try and clothe Jacob with something of the world, thinking that if we do these things and we act this way, that maybe we'll receive the blessing of the Father. They won't be satisfied in that moment. Those two young goats can't do what needs to actually be done. The sacrifice of those goats can't be done, can't do what eternity, what needs to be done for all eternity. The blessing, the true blessing of the Father can't come through through that sacrifice, through those lies. This whole moment's for selfish gain in, in Genesis chapter 27. Rebecca and Jacob just want selfish gain here. They're not hungering and thirsting for satisfaction in, in Yahweh and satisfaction in the Lord. They're looking for a momentary satisfaction. They're looking for something to satisfy their needs, what they feel like are their needs for the moment. And so they clothe themselves in lies. They pretend to be something that they're really not. Man, Christ comes for you and I and for the world to clothe us in himself. He comes to clothe us in righteousness. That our old, old garments are taken away and we put on these new garments given to us by Christ. And we stand upright and can walk with confidence into the Father's presence. Because because God has made a way for us, no longer to, to be uh, sons of wrath, that his wrath might be poured out upon us, but instead adopted as sons and daughters, given an inheritance because of what Christ has done for us. It's almost like a preacher up here. 
Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with, with jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as the garden causes, causes what it is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Again, verse 10, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. I will find satisfaction in God. My soul shall exalt in my God, for He has clothed me in the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Verse 18, back to Genesis chapter 27. So he went to his father and he said, My father... And he said, he, he said to... Uh, and he said, My father... And he said, Here I am... Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. He lied, covers himself in sin. He's not satisfied in his Savior. Instead, he's just satisfied in his sin. He's looking to gain for his own self. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat before uh, of this game that your soul may bless me. Something eternal, the soul, eternal. That the soul may bless me, that it may give me something upon this earth. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? This is what Mandy asked me often. Why can't you be more like, like uh, this when you go hunting? Why can't it be like the first day that you find game? Why can't you just go out to the goat pens and get a goat and bring it home? Why do you got to search and search and search? Why do you got to be like Esau? But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord... Your God granted me success. You see what happens when we begin living in a momentary life, when we begin living for the moment for our own gain and for our own self, we begin lying and trapping ourselves with lies, and then we begin blaming God for the things that He has not done. The Lord, I know this is what He wants to hear, the Lord has granted me success. And all He's doing is just putting on more and more sin upon Himself. And finding satisfaction upon more and more sin upon himself. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near me, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. The Lord knows you. He created you. He made you. He knows you inside and out. Scripture tells us he knows how many hairs are on your head or how many are not on your head. He knows you. You don't have to walk into his presence. He's not going to look at you with eyes closed. Because when he looks at you, believer, if you've confessed Christ as Lord of your life, if you've confessed Christ as Lord of your life, when he looks at you, he sees his son standing in your place, clothed with righteousness. He doesn't have to call you into his presence and say, let me feel you and make sure this is right. He doesn't say, get closer so I can really examine you. He already has examined you. He knows you and I are full of sin. He provides a way for you to be righteous. He looks at you and says, you're clothed with righteousness. You've confessed Christ as Lord. You believe that God is, or that Christ is my son. You believe that I raised him from the dead, conquered death and, sal- and sin for life, and, and put salvation in place. He believes that. He sees that when you walk into his presence, if you confess that. And Isaac said, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son or not. And so Jacob went near to Isaac. I wonder if he went near with fear and trembling. He went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. More lies. Deception. Selfish gain is what's happening here. Verse 23, And he did not recognize 
He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. He blessed him. Jacob stole the birthright because Esau was living for a moment. And Jacob was living for something of his own selfish gain. He stole the birthright. Now he's stolen, he's stolen the blessing. Dressed and clothed as someone different, he stole the blessing. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And so I'm going to bless you anyways. And he said, are you really my son, Esau? And he answered, I am. And then he said, bring it, to me, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. And so he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And then his father, uh, then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the of fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Do you see in this moment this is what Jacob is longing for? Give me power. Give me control. Give me authority. Give me things of this earth. Let me have these things for my own selfish gain. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He was just a little bit slower. He went over too many mountains. He didn't place the arrow correctly where it should have been placed, like myself. In verse 31, he also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. And his father, Isaac, said to him, Who are you? Who are you? I mean, in this moment, can you imagine the devastation that's happening? That the Esau, who's already sold his birthright because of a momentary gain, because his, he thought the trial and the, the traumatic event of being hungry was too much, so he sold and gave up something that, that should have been his for something that he thought might satisfy him forever. And, this in mo and then in this moment, the thief came in to steal, kill, and destroy in a way. And his blessing was given to someone else. I mean, it's just a, a really a terrible, sad story of how selfish gain and pleasure upon this earth often rise, rise up. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. We'll end here together. Philippians is in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Philippians chapter 3. There's a book uh, titled The Rare Jewel of Contentment. Jeremiah Burroughs wrote it. He says this, Contentment is the inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, freely submitting to and taking pleasure in God's disposal in every condition. And he goes on to say, I find a sufficiency of satisfaction in my own heart through the grace of Christ that is in me. Though I have not outward comforts and worldly conveniences to supply my necessities, yet I have a sufficient portion between Christ and my soul, abundantly to satisfy me in every condition. This is what we're talking about. That when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, knowing that only righteousness only comes from God's Son, Jesus. Righteousness only comes from Him. And in that, in every moment 
of every day we can find satisfaction in Christ and Christ alone. And that we see in every moment we can find a place to be content. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 say this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To, this, uh, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision whom worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Rebecca and Jacob put confidence in the flesh. If you clothe yourself in this goat, you will look like your brother. If you receive the birthright and you get the blessing, then our fleshly life will be so extravagant. It will be delicious. We will delight ourselves in the things of this world so often. Though I have, I myself, Paul says in verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And here's why. Because he's got the greatest resume of all time, right, Zach? We talked about this when he first came and preached this. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as the law, as to the law of Pharisee, as to, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul saying, look at my great resume. If anyone was to hire me as a religious person, if anyone was to allow me into their paradise as a religious person, I would be the one to go because I'm perfect. But whatever gain I had, verse 7 says, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. What did he say? All these things that I've done, all these things that, that really are for selfish gain, all the things that can prove how great I am, I count them as loss. For what? For knowing the Lord. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for Christ. In every moment of our life. Not hunger and thirsting for our own gain, but hungering for God. Have a hunger for God, not for your own gain. Be satisfied in your Savior, not in your sin. Verse 8 says this, Indeed, I count everything as, as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that I may by any means, be, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's mind was set upon Christ. His gain was set upon saying, my gain is only Christ. I'm satisfied. I'm content in Christ. I know that he is all that I need. I'm thirsting. I have a hunger for Christ and for Christ alone. This morning, my, my, my thoughts or my questions or my invitation to you is this. Where is your hunger? And, and where are you finding satisfaction in that hunger? What is it that you're thirsting for? What is it that you feel like you can receive satisfaction in? And then what is it that we know, without a doubt, we know for certain that we can, that we can find satisfaction in? Scripture tells us only Christ. Only Christ. Hunger for God, not for your own gain. Be satisfied in your Savior and not your sin. Clothed in righteousness. Don't live for the moments. Don't make decisions for the moment. But instead set your vision and your life upon Christ 
clothed in his righteousness, life bringing glory, your life bringing glory to God because he's the only one worthy of that. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for this morning. God, let my words that have been said this morning be directly from you.